It's the All Things Strange Podcast. I am your host, Agent Anderson. Come with us as we discover the paranormal, UFOs, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can find all of our wonderful links in the description on the link tree where you can find Patreon, our merch store, our link to Discord, and more. This week's episode, The Ghost Rockets. Sounds like it's appropriate for Halloween, you know, being having ghost in the title, but it actually has nothing to do with ghosts specifically. All right, this topic was voted upon by our Patreon subscribers. We've got three tiers for you. The first tier will get you early access, and uh, after hours, the second tier will get you bonus episodes, and the third tier will allow you to vote on upcoming topics. Uh, this week, we had the choices between this and UFOs and volcanoes, and they chose, well, it was actually a tie. So I flipped a coin, and we're doing this one, and we'll do UFOs and volcanoes for the bonus episode. And next week's topics that are up for vote are the um, RFK, no, RJK, wait, what's his middle initial? I don't know, Robert Kennedy's assassination. And uh, what was the other one? Oh, subliminal messages. So they're going to decide on that. Robert Kennedy was the brother of JFK, and he was also assassinated in a very strange case that's got lots of weird things around it. So that should be interesting. And subliminal messages are also interesting. What are they? What are they good for? Maybe I'm using them on you right now. Who knows? Anyways, that'll be next week. Excuse me. Uh, I am, bear with me, I'm a little bit sick this week. So if you hear me coughing and losing my voice, that is why. Apologies in in advance. But all right. With uh, one little microphone adjustment to make here. Let's do it. The Ghost Rockets. Also known as the Scandinavian Ghost Rockets. This one goes way, way back way back, even before (laughs) Bald Eagle says, let's go, damn West Coasters. (laughs) Yeah, sorry. Uh, We, I don't know, we've been discussing doing the show on Saturdays instead of Friday nights, and Saturday during the day is probably a more reasonable time for most people. Who knows? Maybe we'll end up doing that. We'll have to see. But for now, it's Friday nights. (laughs) So this one goes way back. World War II had the Foo Fighters, and then Kenneth Arnold had his sighting in 1947, which began the modern wave of UFO sightings, at least in the United States. But it turns out that there were sightings between these two major sightings, one of which was the Ghost Rockets, which is actually not a sighting, but it turns out it was many, many sightings. It was a genuine flap of sightings that happened beginning in 1946. So there are various types of things going on here. The first sightings were seen, you know, as far as I can tell, in February 
of 46, February 26th of 1946, to be specific, in Finland. In total, this uh, these events were about 2,000 separate sightings between, you know, early 1946 and December 1946, and even some on into 1947, early 1947. The exciting thing, though, is that some of these sightings were corroborated with radar, and they did recover some fragments believed to be the remains of some of the ghost rockets. The name itself, the Ghost Rockets, ooh, spooky, that name itself comes from an earlier sighting from the 30s or uh, earlier groups of sightings called the Ghost Ships or the Ghost Planes, something like that, where people saw mysterious planes in the sky and nobody really knew what they were there, who was flying them, or why they were doing what they were doing. I didn't really look into that one that much, but it seems like that this is where the name comes from, is a previous group of sightings, or previous flap. (coughs) The sightings peaked apparently in August, between the 9th and 11th. So there was a group of sightings, but there's a bunch of them on those, those dates. Now, skeptics said that it was just meteors, which, when we get to some of the descriptions, it may be plausible, but on the other hand, there are certain problems. Um, So the reason I think this is because some of the sightings were seen to coincide with the Perseid meteors, which is a pretty pretty good meteor shower. If you're ever in the mood, go check out the Perseids. That is a pretty good meteor shower. But the problem with that theory is that many, many sightings were seen outside of when the Perseid meteors were going on. That's just one of the many problems, but also the ghost rockets did things that meteors do not. For example, maneuvering and doing things that, you know, like having different colors, changing colors, just doing things in general that meteors tend not to do. Another idea is that all of these were rocket tests from Russians testing captured German V-1 and V-2 missiles. Maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here, but this is actually a pretty plausible explanation. They think that they were testing from the rocket city at Penemunde, P-E-E-N-E-M-U-N-D-E. So, Penemunda. That was a rocket facility that the Russians had captured. People think that they were launching rockets from that facility. And that's how it was reported even from the very beginning. The cool thing about this case is if you like, you can go look up some of the newspaper articles and things. You know, if you can read, if you are able to read Scandinavian, that is. There are also translations if you're into that sort of thing. But that's, I mean, it's a really plausible explanation. But... There are plenty of sightings that don't fit into the description of a missile, although there are plenty that that do. But one of the things that kind of makes you wonder, hmm, maybe not, is that the last known test from that facility was on February 21st, 1945, before the ghost rockets occurred. 
there is no records of tests after that date. That doesn't mean that tests didn't happen. It is entirely possible that V1s and V2s were tested around Europe and that other types of experimental rockets could have been tested around this time. This is just after the ending of World War II, and the United States and Russia were going through, um, they were going through Germany like kids in a candy store, trying to get their hands on every single last piece of technology that they could find. So, who knows? Maybe they found something interesting and they were setting them off. Now, if that was the case, then the military would have known about it, and it seems in this case that they did not know about it, so it's debatable. The sightings in general, there was a couple of different descriptions. There were some of them, some of the objects went really slowly, some of them went really quickly, and some of them had exhaust trails, some of them did not have exhaust trails. Most of them were silent, some of them made noises like a rumbling or a hissing noise. Uh, some of them were described as having wings. Some of them were described as not having wings. Some of them were described as being cigar-shaped. There's a significant number of objects being described here. So many that I think that even if some of them were rockets, some of them definitely were not rockets. For example, something that was silent, cigar-shaped, no, no flight control surfaces, no exhaust, and it went slowly and then quickly and maneuvered around. Probably not a rocket. At least in those days, the rockets were not sophisticated enough to do all of those things. So overall, there were several military investigations by the United States, by Britain, by Sweden, by other places, and the military, they all thought that it was not rockets could not explain all of these sightings because it just didn't line up with rockets. Oh, I forgot to mention also that these things were seen both during the day and at night. So all hours of day and night, people were seeing these things all over the place. A little crazy, but you know, there is the UFO World War II connection. It does appear that there was a spike in activity after World War II this could be the beginning of it. Who knows? And if you were visiting here from elsewhere, you would be pretty interested in Europe because some pretty crazy stuff had been happening during this time period or, you know, just previously to 1946. So it'd be very interesting to you to study all of the shenanigans going on in Europe. You know, you that's what you wouldn't be looking at fish in the Pacific Ocean, you'd be looking at certain areas like Europe, Japan, United States, Russia, you know, a couple of key places where a lot of the action was going down. Now, there were, let's see, okay, also ball-shaped objects. I think I forgot to mention that, but sort of similar to the Foo Fighters, actually. Um, oh, yeah, and the colors mentioned were green, yellow, white, or red. Apologies for the disorganization. I've got a little bit of that COVID brain fog. <laughs> My whole family, we've all tested positive for COVID. So lucky us. Lucky this time around, 
Uh, my symptoms aren't too serious. I'm just very, very tired. So apologies in advance if I seem a little disorganized. That might be why, or it could just be my normal disorganization. <laughs> All right. Uh, the interesting thing about these cases is that some of them appeared to crash or land in lakes around Sweden. In fact, a great number of them did. And when they looked for them, they went to look for them, they were unable to find any of them. Some of the objects were seen by witnesses traveling along the surface of the water before going underneath of the water. And I'm not sure that we've talked about it too much on this show, but there has been a significant number of UFOs seen going into, coming out of, or near water. We've talked, we have talked about a few that have been near water, near lakes and that sorts of things. So it's, it's not unheard of on this show, but I mean, there have been an awful lot of cases involving water. So that's just sort of interesting. And it's also interesting that they were unable to find anything to do with these things in the lakes. If these were just missiles, then when they entered the water, you might expect that there would be some sort of explosion there would be some sort of shrapnel or some sort of physical evidence left behind. And they didn't really find any of that. The best they could find underwater was that some plants looked to be disturbed or broken off or, you know, pulled out or whatever. Disturbed plants at the bottom. And in a couple of cases, they said that they found what appeared to be craters underneath the water. I'm not sure what to make of that. If there was a crater, they would probably find evidence of the missiles. So I think it's possible that some of these craters may have already been there. And we just didn't know about those beforehand, depending on the lake. We don't know. But who knows? Maybe it could have been missiles. They blew up in the crater and the missiles themselves disintegrated in such a way that traces of them could not be found. Now, they did find some debris that they thought might be associated with the ghost rockets, but a lot of that turned out to be, you know, just like slag or metal trash, basically, that could be from industrial processes, or they even found some meteors in some cases. But they didn't really find pieces of these objects that they're 100% sure are from these objects. But... Maybe it was just all missiles that turned into dust. We don't know. The Swedish military, like I said, investigated, but they were definitely convinced that these were real observations, not just psychological tricks of the mind or people seeing lights in the sky. And the reason for that mostly is that a lot of the sightings were corroborated with radar. Now, here's a really cool document I found from November 4th, 1948 from the United States, which suggests an ET origin for not just the ghost rockets, but from other things. Now, I was uh, unfamiliar with this particular document, but I found it really, really, really exciting. There's not that many documents that are declassified that talk about the ET hypothesis right? It's sort of the 800-pound gorilla in the room that seems to not exist at all in official discourse. But here we have it. All right. The document is top secret, which I think is so exciting. If you've ever wondered 
What are they talking about behind closed doors? What are these top secret documents that they're sending to each other? Well, here we have one of them. It's so cool. I love this stuff. So top secret for November 1948 from OIOB. For some time, we have been concerned by the recurring reports on flying saucers. They periodically continue to crop up during the last week. One was observed hovering over Nuremberg, or no, Neubiberg Air Base for about 30 minutes. They have been reported by so many sources and from such a variety of places that we are convinced that they cannot be disregarded and must be explained on some basis, which is perhaps slightly beyond the scope of our present intelligence thinking. When officers of this directorate recently visited the Swedish Air Intelligence Service, this question was put to the Swedes. Their answer was that some reliable and fully technically qualified people have reached the conclusion that these phenomena are obviously the result of of a high technical skill which cannot be credited to any presently known culture on earth. That quote, once again, from, from, uh, from Sweden, they, they, so when officers of this directorate, so when us intelligence officers or air force or whoever was over there, when officers of this directorate recently visited the Swedish air intelligence service, this question was put to the Swedes. Their answer was that some reliable and fully technically qualified people have reached the conclusion that these phenomena are obviously the result of a high technical skill which cannot be credited to any presently known culture on earth. They are therefore assuming that these objects originate from some previously unknown or unidentified technology Possibly outside the earth. Possibly outside the earth. One of these objects was observed by a Swedish technical expert near his home on the edge of a lake. The object crashed or landed in the lake and he carefully noticed, noted its azimuth from his point of observation. Swedish intelligence was sufficiently confident in his observation that a naval salvage team was sent to the lake. Operations were underway during the visit of USAF officers. Divers had discovered a previously uncharted crater on the floor of the lake. No further information is available, but we have been promised knowledge of the results. In their opinion, the observation was reliable, and they believe that the depression on the floor of the lake, which did not appear on current hydrographic charts, was in fact caused by a flying saucer. Well, that's an interesting idea. Although accepting this theory of the origin of these objects poses a new, poses a while new group of, poses a while, it must be a typo, poses while a new group of questions and puts much of our thinking in a changed light, we are inclined not to discredit entirely this somewhat spectacular theory. Meantime, keeping an open mind on the subject, 
What are your reactions? Top secret, end of USAFE item 14. How cool is that, people? They think that it's ET, <laughs> official correspondence, top secret document. What the heck? I mean, you don't see that too often. You really, really don't. And I, the reason I said it's a typo, that's actually me, not the document, because if it was in the document, I would just read it verbatim. But I actually retyped this document because the one that I found was kind of difficult to read. So I wanted to remedy that by just typing it out again. And, um, you know, that way you wouldn't have to suffer through me trying to read it, you know, trying to decipher the words live on the air. So that was a really, really exciting document that I found. And there were other ghost rocket sightings, not just in Sveden, but also in Greece, Portugal, Belgium, Monaco, Turkey, Italy, probably some other places as well. There's a lot of different things going, going on in this case, and you can find just an incredible amount of newspaper articles, of witness testimonies, of all sorts of things going on. But one of the most interesting things I found for this case was one of the investigators who looked into it was physicist Paul Santorini. And he said, we soon established that they were not missiles, not a missile. <laughs> but before we could do any more, the army, after conferring with foreign officials, ordered the investigation stopped. Foreign scientists probably American, flew to Greece for secret talks with me. And he says that it was secret because officials didn't want to admit that there was a superior technology against which there was no possible defense. And, you know, obviously, ghost rockets was something that bothered governments. They really didn't like it. It was not just the United States governments. You can find documents and discussions from other governments in Europe, they were very unhappy with these for several reasons, right? So they were worried that, um, that perhaps Russia had gotten their hands on some sort of advanced technology. You've heard of the Iron Curtain. Well, this is where this comes from. After World War II, the powers that be got together and they decided that in a post-war Europe, that there would be, you know, basically the freedom for local governments or local countries to choose their own governments, right? That they were not going to be occupied by basically America and Russia, essentially is what we're talking about here, that they would be left alone to their own devices more or less. But it turns out that Russia, basically the stuff that was assigned to Russia, they kind of just took it over and that's where I think it was Winston Churchill came up with the phrase Iron Curtain. It was like there was an iron curtain of secrecy that went across Europe. And the stuff in Eastern Europe became basically an extension of Russia. So nobody really knew what was going on back then. Whereas the other countries were in communication with each other. So they were, you know, they were sharing intelligence. They were communicating. They were all talking to each other, but Russia was not, apparently. So they were very, very worried that the ghost rockets might be some kind of Russian weapon 
that were being tested and everybody was terrified that there was going to be a World War III in the upcoming years. They had just had World War I, and I forget the exact dates, but it was in, you know, the late teens or whatever, let's say 1914 to 1918 or something like that. And that, that war was, it was just a horror show, the whole thing, you know, the trench combat and the, the development of chemical weapons that were very primitive, but still very, very effective. The delivery was primitive, but their effects were not. Uh, it, was, it was really bad. The, the conditions were just unbelievable. It was a new, you know, technology had not been deployed on the battlefield before like this. And we'd reached a new technological age. We just invented things like electricity, like flight, chemical advancements, all this stuff. And it ended up on the battlefield and it was not good. And then, you know, you had what happened there was, so I'm not going to go through the whole history of basically Germany lost and the economic sanctions were extreme. And that's one of the things that allowed Hitler to come to power was things were just so bad in Germany that anybody who had an answer for them, people people got behind them. You know, it's more complicated than that. But that's one of the things that allowed Hitler to come to power. So Hitler comes to power and we see similar things to World War I, but even worse with just the level of death and destruction is just unbelievable. And I, I once had a professor who described World War I and World War II described it as Europe committing suicide. And I don't think that's too far off the mark. Uh, it was, you know, nobody wanted, nobody wanted it again. I had a, um, a German teacher one time who said that, you know, he was a child during world war two, a really old guy. And he said that, um, you know, he remembered being in a bombed out basement and people just sort of huddling together. And he said, you know, never again, so people on all sides of the war, none of them ever wanted any of this again, you know? So it's, it's, uh, people were scared. People were really scared that the ghost rockets could be the harbinger of a world war three, that Russia was kicking up some dust and kicking the tires on a new technology. And that they were, that's one of the things they were afraid of. But after the military investigated it, like I said earlier, they came to the conclusion that the ghost rockets could not be actual rockets that based on witness testimony, they were beyond our current capabilities. Now the sightings themselves slowed down and stopped sometime in 1947. It depends on which sightings you want to categorize as part of the ghost rockets again in 1947 and actually starting a little before then there was a worldwide UFO flap that could be an episode for the future, talking about some of those sightings. I mean, it could be many, many episodes, to be honest. But it gets a little fuzzy what you want to include and what you don't want to include. There are a lot of similar sightings, but um, it slowed down and stopped in 1947. They were reported again in January and February of 1948. And some of these reports were similar. They reported things like slow balls of fire moving through the sky silently. They reported these rocket-like crafts, thing, you know, the same old deal. But by March, these sightings were over, March of 1948. So these ones didn't last as long. But again, we were 
in the midst of a genuine worldwide UFO flap in the late 40s. There was an interesting case I saw mentioned from the Netherlands on July 21st of 1948. Several witnesses saw through broken clouds over the hog a rocket-shaped object with two rows of windows. This case, is the description's not that good, but the thing that's interesting is the description is very, very similar to the Child's Witted case, which I'm pretty sure I've done an episode on. <laughs> but, all right, now let's get to a couple of specific UFO testimonies or stories. I won't do too many of these. There are a ton of them, tons and tons and tons of these but uh, we won't go through too many of them because at some point it's like the same thing over and over again. But we'll talk about one. The first one is a pilot flying from Santa Maria Azores to Paris on January in January of 1946. Here is a quote from the document. Sitting in the cockpit of an airplane for hours at night, a pilot sees many meteors fall. But on this night, I saw one which I have not forgotten because of the unusual nature of the fall. Our position was approximately midway between Brest and Paris. More exactly, I would estimate between 65 and 70 nautical miles due south of Cherbourg. As I recall now, the time was about 2300 GMT on January 18, 1946. I was alone in the cockpit of a C-54 type plane at... And unfortunately, the left side of this document was um, was sort of not reproduced, so you're missing the beginning of certain words. A lot of the words I could uh, I could decipher because you know, like the words like alone, or if it's missing the I from the sentence I was alone, you can infer that from context. But here, it's a number, and I don't know what that number is, unfortunately. So something zero 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 feet. Could be 10,000, could be 5,000, we don't know. But anyways, he was alone in the cockpit of a C-54 type plane at something feet. Altitude above broken clouds whose top range between four and 5,000 feet. So that gives you a minimum, I suppose. The sky was crystal clear. We were flying in the direction of Paris. The meteor first appeared to me at an altitude of about 35 degrees above the horizon. It fell apparently from the north at an angle of perhaps, again, it doesn't say because it's cut off, the number is cut off, or 25 degrees from the vertical. It did not explode. Its intense brilliance persisted until it met the horizon at a point bearing 85 degrees to 90 degrees true from my position. This would put its point of contact with the Earth somewhere on a line between Brest and Kiev. A split second after appearing on the horizon, the meteorite reappeared above the horizon, ascribing a tiny hyperbola, or yeah, hyper, hyperbola, hyperbola of perhaps one degree altitude, and fell again from. Uh, can't read it. It's illegible. The reappearance of the meteorite was like a ricochet or rebound. The elapsed time of the fall and reappearance was perhaps two or three seconds. So that's a really, really cool sighting. They see what looks like it could be a meteor. 
and then it goes over the horizon, but then it pops back up over the horizon, makes a little parabola, and then disappears. Could it be a meteor? I suppose. But um, I don't know, dude. You know, it doesn't sound like a meteor to me. Who knows? All right. Now I found another document. This is, it says, secret headquarters, Army Air Forces, Washington, 19th of July, 1946, it looks like. All right. And this is a memorandum for commanding general Army Air Forces. Subject, reports of rocket sightings over the Scandinavian countries. This is a really cool doc. I don't know if I'll read through all of it, but I want to go through over the, I want to go over some of these sightings because it lists a bunch of sightings on this document. Some of them sound like rockets. Some of them do not. But here we go. One, for, for your information, the following reports of rockets or missiles in the Scandinavian area have been received in cables from military attaches and State Department representatives of foreign countries and in news dispatches. <coughs> Excuse me. A. News items concerning rockets over the Scandinavian peninsula have appeared sporadically since early June 1946. The chronological sequence of reports is as follows. Starting on the 10th of June 1946, Helsinki, Finland. A light-emitting ghost rocket was observed flying at an altitude of 900 to 1,200 feet. The missile left a trail of smoke in the sky. Sounds like a missile to me, right? 2. 12th of June, 1946, Helsinki, Finland. The Finnish news agency, quoting the Helsinki Astronomical Institution, said the ghost rocket was a meteor. And uh, if ETA was here, he would be saying, he would be quoting Freddie Got Fingered, you know? <laughs> I say Helsinki, you say Geneva. It's 40 million Deutschmarks, Bob. <laughs> so I'll go ahead and say that for him there. <laughs> awesome movie, awesome movie. Or not, you know, depending on your perspective. <laughs> All right. Three, 10th of July, 1946, Stockholm, Sweden. Shining missiles had been observed traveling at great altitude and high speed and had caused speculation by the newspaper Aftonblatt that had, uh, that the Russians were conducting rocket experiments on Baltic bases. One missile was alleged to have fallen and exploded Tuesday, 9 July, near the town of Sundsvall, which lies on the west coast of the Gulf of Bothnia, approximately 390 miles west of the nearest Russian territory. Um, all right, so uh, I'll continue to read these, but apologies, my voice appears to be losing me a little bit. Like I said, I'm not like super sick, but I do have the scratchy lungs and stuff like that, so uh, apologies. Hey, but I figure the show must go on. Something is better than nothing. I did not want to ca cancel the episode. Asian ether was like, ah, just do it tomorrow. Just cancel it and do it tomorrow. But I was like, dude, I'm not going to feel any Betty, any Betty. I'm not going to feel any better tomorrow. So I might as well just do it. I love this stuff anyway. So I, there's nothing I'd rather be doing than going over dusty old UFO files. <laughs> All right. Number four, the 15th of July, 1946, London, England, the London daily, um, illegible, quotes a dispatch from Geneva, which stated that a strange object sighted over the Rhone Valley touched off conjecture that the Russians are testing flying bombs over the Alps. It stated further that rocket missiles, which have fallen recently in Sweden, are V-weapons from Pimpinmunda 
former German Center for Guided Missile Research, now under Russian jurisdiction, in closing the article stated that all sailors on the Baltic run have been warned under the penalty of death not to talk about any phenomena observed. Russia is reported to be closing a huge area in the Baltic to all traffic. Now, it doesn't say here, but a lot of areas like in Sweden had a media blackout, at least for a while, about the ghost rockets. And even if they didn't have a pure media blackout, they did tell the media not to report things like speed and altitude and direction because they didn't want that information to help out Russia. If Russia was testing rockets, that data would be extremely helpful to their efforts. So they said, screw you guys, don't talk about that in the newspaper. So they did have a blackout of information and the reason was they did not want that information to help Russia with their weapons developments. Although I'm guessing if Russia needed that information, they would have had observers in those places anyways to observe the launches. All right, next up, 5, 15th of July, 1946, Oslo, Norway. A big fireball followed by a trail of smoke was observed moving through the sky over the Norwegian village of Moss on Oslo Bay. The altitude of the missile was estimated to be 4,000 feet. So, I mean, these all sound like they could be missiles, I suppose, and they, this document is certainly treating them as such. But this is what I mean when I say that, you know, there's a lot of sightings that could very well be missiles and absolutely sound like missiles, but there's a lot that do not. All right, now we have the section B here. Military attache reports and State Department cables which focus attention of rockets in the Scandinavian area began to arrive during the latter part of April 1946. Extracts from these communications are given here in chronological order. 25th of April 1946. Military attache Denmark reports earth tremors on the islands of Bornholm and Ystad, Sweden. The tremors were thought to be the result of Russian naval maneuvers. Huh, okay. It was noted that Danish intelligence reports no Russian naval maneuvers at this time. That's a weird one. Could just be an earthquake, I suppose. Who knows? 2. 13th of May, 1946. Military attache, Finland, quotes, A B-1 source which reports a rocket observed, the word rocket is in quotes here, I'm not sure why, uh, a rocket observed traveling in a southwesterly direction over Helsinki at an altitude of 1,000 feet. It was alleged to have moved at supersonic speed, emitting a magnesium-like light and a trail of smoke. Now, that one is really, really interesting. Um, a trail of smoke could just be like an atmospheric disturbance. Maybe it's not actually smoke. You know what I mean? So that might not be an actual rocket. Could V1s and V2s move at supersonic speeds at a thousand feet altitude? I don't know. I forgot to look that up. <laughs> that would be an interesting piece of information. In fact, I got the interwebs in front of me right here. So I'm going to go ahead and look that up because I am actually really curious. Let's see, V2 rocket top speed, 3,400 miles an hour. Holy crap. 
Uh, yeah, so that is definitely well over the speed of sound. Uh, it says here, its design also contributed to American rocketry following World War II. The V-2's liquid oxygen and alcohol propellants produced a thrust of 56,000 pounds, giving, <laughs> again, if ETA was here, he might say, uh, something inappropriate, giving the rocket a maximum range of 220 miles, a ceiling of 50 to 60 miles, and a speed of 3,400 miles per hour. It doesn't say anything about what it could achieve at which altitude. Um, to be honest, I'm a little skeptical that it could go that fast at such a low altitude because there's so much air friction. I'm guessing that top speed could only be reached at it, the very top of its range, you know, altitude wise, but who knows, you know, we'd have to talk to an S expert on that one. Maybe I'll get James Goodall back on the show and ask him about the V2 rockets. I don't know. All right. Anyways, next up the 24th of May, 1946 military attache in Sweden and Denmark quote an observer who reported V bombs flying Southwest over Landstrakona, Sweden, Altitude of the missiles was 1,000 feet. And, you know, a lot of these, I did see, I didn't notate, notate every single one, but I did see somebody who was in the military who was quoted as saying, I know what V bombs, V1 and V2 bombs look like, and this was definitely not that. And I did see other ones where they said, yeah, this was definitely a V bomb or V rocket or V bomb. So that suggests that some of these very well could have been and probably were, you know, tests of the captured rockets. We know that they were tested. And even if we don't have specific documentation, you know, it seems like a strong candidate for some of these sightings. All right. 14th of June, 1946, military attache Finland quotes a B3 source who stated that Russian experimental stations in Latvia and Estonia were launching rockets. 17th of June, 1946, military attache Finland states that there was no evidence whatsoever of Finland's developing guided missiles. Now that's a really interesting quote. 24th of June, 1946, military air attache Stockholm, Sweden reports no explanations can be given for the 25th of April earth tremors, but that the Swedish army does not connect them with V-bomb sightings. Approximately 10 apparently patternless V-bomb sightings have been reported between 23 of May and 8th of June. The missiles reported traveling from northeast to southwest over southern Sweden. These missiles were reported as being cigar-shaped about the size of a small airplane. They were flying at an altitude of 100 to 1,000 meters and were accompanied by a continuous ball of fire with intermittent flashes, flashes of fire about every 10 seconds. Sweden astronomers dismiss the meteor theory, but the Swedish army is at a loss to account for them officially or otherwise, and have alerted the military districts to observe and report promptly any further sightings. Now, this one is really fascinating because they were reporting cigar-shaped crafts, which suggests not a missile with flight control surfaces or wings or anything like that, not a pointed tip and a rocket on the back, but a lozenge-shaped craft 
traveling as low as 100 meters, which is pretty low. And the thing that comes to mind is that if the Russians were testing these things, why on earth would they be testing them or launching them over countries that they didn't have control over? That doesn't make sense for a couple of reasons. First of all, it would be an extremely hostile act. What if one of those things went and damaged or destroyed parts of a city that could very well start off another war? And let's not forget that during World War II, Russia suffered extreme loss of life. I forget the exact number, but I think it was somewhere in the millions. The Germans did a lot of damage to Russia, and I very seriously doubt that come 1946 that they were even remotely interested in starting up another fight. And if they were testing secret stuff, why would they give their, not at this point necessarily enemies, but the Cold War was already gearing up at this point, believe it or not. And as some would say, it was in, you know, it was the height of the Cold War because it's always the height of the Cold War whenever we're talking about it. That's just a universal constant, I suppose. But no, but seriously, if you're testing top secret stuff, why would you let your, you know, not enemies, but your frenemies, why would you let them see the stuff? It's secret. You wouldn't want them to see it. If anything, they would haul this crap back to Russia and test it in the middle of Siberia somewhere where nobody else is going to be able to witness it. You wouldn't give this stuff away. Nobody wants to give this stuff away. They want to test it away from prying eyes. Just a thought. All right. 7, 12th of July, 1946. State Department cable, Stockholm, Sweden, states in part. On Tuesday afternoon, 9th of July, a member of the of the legation saw a rocket-like missile. It seemed to be falling rapidly toward the earth and no sound of explosion was heard. On the same afternoon, another landed on the beach near Stockholm. No damage was caused. The press reports that military authorities are now studying fragments. According to a local scientist, the first inspection indicated that the fragments contained an organic substance which looked like carbide. The press announced that a missile fell at 14.30, July in a suburb of Stockholm. I'm not sure what the significance of carbide would be because I am not a chemist, but that sounds pretty interesting. Moving on. The Swedes claim that they do not know the purpose, character, or origin of the missiles, but they definitely state that the missiles did not originate in Sweden. According to eyewitnesses, the missiles were heading in a northwest direction. And by the way, secret documents released, other secret documents I've seen, cables from the Swedish government to the U.S. government, for example, things like that. Those documents do indicate that the Swedish government said, it's not us launching this stuff. We don't know what it is. We don't know who's launching it. And remember, this is a secret document that I am reading to you. So this is not something that's a dis piece of disinformation. This was well before the Freedom, well before the Freedom of Information Act. So this shows that they have no idea what's going on here. 
not the USA, not Sweden, not anybody. Nobody knew, at least nobody in the Western countries knew what the hell was happening here. They had no idea. If the missiles are of Russian origin, as believed generally, according to some reports, they came from Estonia, their purpose might be of a political nature to intimidate the Swedes in connection with Russian pressure on Sweden for current loan negotiations or possibly to offset the supposed increase in U.S. military prestige in Sweden. Who knows? I mean, anything's possible. Item two, an American civil engineer returning from Russia reports that hundreds of Russian tourists, tourists, the word is in quotations, are arriving and settling in the um, something that Åland, A-L-A-N-D, it looks like, it's hard to read, Iceland's, no, island, islands, Åland, in the Åland Islands, sorry, it's a little garbled looking there. These islands lie in the mouth of the Gulf, the Gulf of Bothania, between Åland and Sweden. Interesting, those might be Russian, uh, Russian agents, they might be tourists, they might be people fleeing Russia because it sucks there, I don't know. Number three, a report from Finland dated 26 June 1946 bearing, and by the way, to any of our Russian listeners, which I'm pretty sure the number is close to zero, or people descended from Russians, I mean, no offense, I'm not saying that Russia actually sucks, I'm just saying that is, you know, maybe people didn't like it there, I don't know, I'm not saying that Russia is a bad place, never been there, don't know. All right, number three, a report from Finland dated 26 June 1946 bearing an F3 um, what is this? I can't read the word oval, oval nation. I'm not sure. Bearing an F3 anyways, states that a V bomb was observed recently over Helsinki. A lot of this stuff happening near Helsinki. It's 40. Was it 40 or 60? That's 60 million Deutschmarks, Bob. The bomb was believed to have been launched from the pull, uh, Porkala area, which is located 20 miles southwest of Helsinki on the Baltic seacoast. Recent maps indicate that this area is territory which belongs to Russia, although it is in a portion of the Finnish mainland. Uh, so this one, this sounds like somebody who knew what a V-bomb looked like, and they were pretty sure that this was a V-bomb. Well, I might as well finish up the document. The thing I liked about the doc, this document, and the reason I chose it, is because that it had a whole bunch of sightings in a very succinct format. And at some point you're looking at information overload and it's hard to know which ones to choose and which ones not to. There's just so many of these damn things of the sightings that you can go over. So that's why this document was really great because it had a whole bunch of stuff and a very small amount of space. Anyways, item number four, due to the lack of conclusive evidence and the variety of reports it is difficult at this time to reach any definite conclusion as to the origin of these reported missiles, but the following are significant. A. The statement of the Helsinki Astronomical Institution disclaiming the possibility of the object sighted 10 June 1946 being a rocket appeared with such promptness as to incite suspicion that Russian influence on the press was making itself evident. Interesting. I wonder if Russia was either buying off newspapers or maybe having their own agents infiltrate newspapers. Really interesting stuff there. B, the possibility that the objects may have been a meteor is lessened by a report 
from the United States <coughs> from the United States Naval Observatory stating that no meteor showers were predicted for the Scandinavian area between the 4th of May and 28th of June 1946. Interesting. C. The Russians may be launching rockets from sites in Estonia or Latvia. D. The presence of Russian tourists in the Åland Islands has not... Oh, there we go. A-L-A-N-D. The other, the, all the other times that word was on the document, it was garbled or poorly reproduced and hard to read. But here it's clear to read, so it's A-L-A-N-D. Tourists in the Åland Islands has not yet been explained but it is conceivable that the Russians intend to establish an area similar to Penamund on the islands. So yeah, they're not believing for a second that these are real tourists. <laughs> they're very suspicious. E, the additional possibility that the Russians intend to impress the outside world with their potentialities by deliberately firing missiles over the Scandinavian area must not be overlooked. The additional possibility that the Russians intend to impress the outside world with their potentiality. So I guess they're flexing, I guess. I don't know. And number five, until more complete reports covering the Scandinavian rocket situation are available, conclusive statements pertaining to their origin, appearance, characteristics, and purpose cannot be made. Now, that's the end of that document. And this event, the ghost rockets were looked at for many years to follow. They were discussed and debated about, uh, the United States project blue book had a lot on their plate around this time, 47 and 48. Well, it wasn't called project blue book by then it started off as project sign or project saucer. And then it was project grudge. And then it was project blue book years after that. But they had, you know, for example, they had the Gorman dogfight and things like that to contend with. So they, they had a lot on their plate that was very concerning at home, so they may not have prioritized this. But still, you can find discussions going on for quite some time. They, you know, this caused concern for a while. And to this day, nobody is entirely sure what caused the sightings. But... In my opinion, looking at just the vast number of sightings and the vast variety available of the sightings, personally, I think that a lot of them probably were missiles of some kind or other, because that's exactly what the descriptions sound like. But I think that a lot of them were not missiles, you know, and you don't got to take my word for it. All of the military investigations came to that same conclusion, including, you know, that document I read that said, Hey, this could be ET guys, which is, you know, a pretty wild document, pretty exciting to find that. But that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, it's a real mystery, right? If you had a population on a, a foreign planet that you were taking a look at and investigating, you know, you got these monkeys who, uh, go from basically banging rocks together. And then overnight, we're coming up with the atomic bomb, chemical warfare, rockets, even space travel not that long afterwards, you'd probably be wanting to check that out. So what if it's possible that they were testing rockets, but also UFOs were keeping tabs just in case? Because let's remember, 
some of these technologies, in particular the atomic bomb, were far, far in advance of what they should be. So what if you're an alien race and you're, you're looking at this and you're like, wait a minute, they don't even have computers yet. How in the hell did they figure out how to split the atom? This shit is in the wrong order. It's happening in the wrong order. So would you think they, maybe they got that technology from another alien race? Would you think that, well, you would probably think there's something weird going on there at the very least, right? That shouldn't have gone on like that. It should have been in a different order. Uh, and you have all this, this technology springing up overnight. You're probably going to want to keep tabs on that because you're like, well, if they can do that out of order, then maybe they can figure out also or be given the technology also out of order to travel the stars. We definitely don't want to be dealing with that. I mean, if you look at the history of our species, uh, we are not friendly types. You know, we just aren't. Whenever we encounter a civilization here on earth that is less technologically capable, we pretty much 100% of the time either eradicate or enslave that population and you just look at the history. The history of the human race is basically the history of those with power taking over and killing those without power. That's pretty much it. You can boil down everything to that. Forget all the arguments. Forget all the points of views, you know, the mandate from God or manifest destiny or all these other excuses. We are an extremely violent species. So if we all of a sudden started getting this crazy technology, they would want to keep tabs on it. They would want to keep specific tabs on all of the technological developments just in case. And maybe that's why you have rocket sightings alongside cigar sightings. Maybe that's why the White Sands Proving Grounds a missile test range has an unusual amount of UFO sightings, which I'm not sure we've even talked about that one yet. Maybe we'll do an episode on it at some point. But anyways, that's kind of my opinion is I think that, yeah, I think it's very possible that, um, you know, we were testing rockets. That appears to be the case for some of the sightings. And I think that, um, you know, maybe the neighbors were checking that out. But look at the sheer number of sightings. Like there are some, some points in this wave or this flap where there were just sightings like all day long, like so many sightings. It's crazy. So who knows at the end of the day, it's a very mysterious thing and we don't know for sure. We probably never will, but it's still a lot of fun to talk about. All right. Well, that's all I got for you this time. And, um, until, uh, until next time, well, I guess we'll sign it. How do I normally sign this out? Sorry. I'm getting a little fuzzy here. <clears throat> oh yeah. I usually say, all right. Thank you guys for listening. And, uh, if you'd like to help the show, you can do so by leaving us a good review, wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your family, friends, social media platforms, or whatever. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Keep it strange.